And the final reading is from Acts chapter 2, 1 through 21. The actual coming of the Holy Spirit, I've heard this referred to as D-Day, the beginning of the end of the war. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Perinthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? And others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name's Chris. This morning I get to stand beside you while God engages us both with his word. Um, As you came in, I hope that you got a sheet with verses on the front and the back. Uh, Today we are going to have a topical sermon, which means we're not preaching from just one text, uh, but we're looking at what the whole Bible has to say on a given topic. 
Okay, so uh, we'll be reading verses pretty fast. Don't feel like you got to flip through those in your Bible. That won't make you any more holy. Uh, just you can look at this sheet and be fine. Uh, so before we get started, let's pray. Father God, let what comes next be your voice for your people. Amen. Today I've been asked to preach the next sermon in our ongoing series, uh, which is called Drawing Near. Uh, and we're focusing on different ways uh, to draw near to God and to one another. Now, Mike and some other preachers that you've seen uh, have each spoken about different ways that we draw near, like God's word, uh, like prayer. Uh, and even last week, Pastor Sam spoke about drawing near to God through the sacraments. Uh, where we are lifted up to heaven to commune with him every week in the Lord's Supper, for example. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about a particularly important means of drawing near to God and to one another. Yet this is actually one of the most overlooked ways that we draw near, one of the least utilized and least appreciated. This morning, we'll be talking about faith. And particularly, I'm going to make the point that you can't walk one inch through the life of a Christian without exercising faith at every turn. Faith is the most foundational element of drawing near to God and to one another because you can't pray rightly without faith. You can't hear the word of the Lord properly if you're not hearing with faith, the word says. You can't even be baptized or take the Lord's Supper unless you are doing so with faith. I'm making the claim this morning that faith is actually the sum and substance of the entire Christian life, faith in Christ. Faith is so central, so essential to the Christian life that scripture mentions it constantly. In fact, in the New Testament, faith is mentioned more times than sin, more times than the Holy Spirit, more times than holiness, more times than worship, more times than prayer, more times than charity, and it's mentioned even more times than the word grace. And let me tell you, it's not even close. However, we don't seem to talk about faith very much, do we? In fact, it's been my experience that most people have difficulty in even defining faith or its specific role in their lives. So why does the Bible talk about faith so, so much? And why must we become far more familiar with its function in our lives? Well, I believe that the answer to both of those questions is that faith is the foundation and the fuel for the Christian life. So that'll be our, our two points today. Uh, if you've heard any number of sermons from me, you know I like two-point sermons. Uh, so these will be our two points. First, we're going to look at how the Bible paints faith as the foundation for the Christian life. And then we'll look at how the Bible paints faith as the fuel for the Christian life. And by the end, we'll see that because faith is the foundation and the fuel for the Christian life, we must depend on Christ for every moment. Uh, now, before we do that, before we jump in, I want to I start with a definition for faith that we can kind of carry with us through this um, so, we're know what we're, so we know what we're uh, working with. Uh, Dr. Richard Lintz, uh, who was Distinguished Professor of Theology at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary for many years, uh, gives this definition for faith. He says, faith is the fundamental orientation of persons outside of themselves. 
Faith is the fundamental orientation of persons outside of themselves. So faith has a reference point that's not in yourself, but outside of yourself, beyond yourself, relying on something else entirely. And the easiest way to think of this uh, is the trust fall. A trust fall is when someone uh, closes their eyes, they cross their arms, and they purposefully fall backwards, trusting that something or someone outside of themselves will do all the work of catching them. So in order to do a trust fall, you have to have faith, and then you have to fall. You have to have faith that no matter what happens, even without you moving a single muscle to protect yourself, somehow you will be caught and protected. And so that's what we mean by faith. And particularly when I say living by faith today, I mean a decision to entrust the entirety of your life to someone outside of yourself. So the first thing that we have to recognize uh, about faith is that faith is a gift from God. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God so that no one can boast. So this is what I mean when I say faith is dependence upon something outside of yourself. By definition, faith has nothing to do with what you bring to the table. Faith has nothing to do with how spiritual you are. Faith is a gift you cannot muster or manufacture or in any other way create your own faith. Paul is explicit about this. In Romans 12, 3, he says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Faith is assigned by God. You do not discover or reason your way to faith. If you have faith, if you believe and rely upon Jesus Christ as the God-man that lived without sin and died on the cross to pay for your sins and give you his righteousness as your own, if you believe that, that faith is a miracle. That belief is the result of heaven breaking through into this world to place faith right into your heart. This is why faith is the foundation of the Christian life because faith is the first thing that happens to you as a Christian. In fact, it's what makes you a Christian to begin with. Now, uh, for some of you, maybe who've been Christians for a long time here, this may seem like basic stuff. Uh, Nothing to argue with here, right? We can all agree that you need to believe in God in order to be saved, right? But who said anything about salvation? That's not what I'm talking about here this morning. I am here contending that the entire life of any Christian is lived by faith. Remember, faith is the foundation. Romans 1.17 says, For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now that phrase there, from faith to faith, is actually rendered better as faith from beginning to end, or some of your Bibles might even have a note there that says that. The idea is that you are starting from faith in the Christian life, but your destination throughout the Christian life, even all the way to the end on your deathbed, is faith. Or in other words, from, uh, faith from first to last. That's why it says immediately after that, the righteous shall live by faith, not be made alive, but thereafter live faith. 
Now, this is nothing new. This isn't just a New Testament invention. God had said it already in the Old Testament, too. Look at Proverbs 3, 6, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. This is the life of faith. Not leaning upon ourselves, but trusting in something entirely outside of ourselves and doing that for every moment. Settle in to this reliance, this dependence upon God. Strive less, depend more. Proverbs says right here that if you do that, you will see great returns because it'll be God who's directing your path. So rather than merely being saved by faith, what does it look like to live by faith? What does it look like to live your entire life after you're saved in total dependence on something outside of yourself? Perhaps a story might help. Uh, Alyssa, my wife, and I, uh, we like to watch funny videos sometimes at the end of an evening to relax and unwind. And one time in particular, uh, we watched this video in which a woman is vacuuming her house, and now, now she's in cleaning mode. Uh, she's got her headphones in, and she's just trying to get some chores done quickly. And her husband, he's got his phone out, and he's, he's recording her, so we kind of see from his perspective. And as she continues to vac vacuum the house, somehow, without her knowing she has somehow come unplugged from the wall outlet. So her husband sees this and he starts recording it because she's going from room to room vacuuming, but it's, it's doing nothing. She's not picking anything up. And what's so funny is that she, she doesn't actually know that. She's got her headphones in, so she can't hear the vacuum cleaner. So she believes that she's vacuuming, but all she's really doing is pushing around an unplugged vacuum. The life of faith is a little bit like that. Just as a vacuum needs to be plugged in in order to work properly, we as Christians are in total reliance upon God in order to take even a single step in the Christian life. We must do all things in faith. Now, some of you uh, might have a vacuum at home that has batteries. I have one of those. It just charges up and then you can vacuum. You can go from room to room. You don't need to be plugged in. But this is not how we as Christians work. We do not merely have batteries, which we get charged when we're saved, and then we're off, turned loose for the rest of our lives. No, we have to be plugged in constantly by faith in order to do anything in the Christian life. And the Bible goes to great lengths to show us this, to show us that all that we do must be done in faith. We must eat and drink with faith, Romans 14, uh, 23. We must pray with faith, James 1, 6. We must read the word with faith, 1 Timothy 4, 12 through 13. We must hear the word and receive the spirit with faith, Galatians 3, 2. We must walk by faith, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. But it's more than just doing those things, isn't it? The Bible says that faith is foundational for every single moment. In fact, Romans 14, 23 says, everything which is not from faith is sin. Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must first believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That's our sermon series right now, right? Drawing near. And the Bible says here that drawing near is entirely bound up with faith. You can pray, you can take the sacraments, you can read the Bible all that you want, but if you do not have faith as you do these things, the Bible is saying here, you're, you're not getting any nearer. You're vacuuming with an unplugged vacuum cleaner. 
Well, it should come as no surprise to most of us. It certainly doesn't come as a surprise to me, but we as Christians come unplugged all the time. We constantly forget this foundation of faith. Sometimes we're just, we're just going through the motions. Sometimes we just do things because they're expected of us. It's our job. We don't do things because of how God has redeemed us and set his affection on us and given us a new purpose. So if you recognize that you've not lived by faith, repentance is the answer. But we can embrace repentance by faith too, can't we? With a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, as Hebrews says, we approach the throne not of condemnation, but of grace. Understanding that we are truly loved. Repentance can be a true joy when you do so in faith with the knowledge that God has approved of you even while you were a sinner because of Christ's righteousness that stands in your place. Or maybe that's, maybe that's not you, maybe that's not your struggle. Maybe instead of forgetting to always live in faith, maybe you go the other way. Maybe it's your tendency to believe that God saved you and he gave you his perfect righteousness but now, maybe 20 years later, it's up to you to shape up and make it to the finish line. Maybe you've even been pursuing righteousness in your life. Maybe you've been trying to put sin to death. However, my question today is, have you been pursuing that righteousness by faith? Have you been seeking to establish your own righteousness apart from Christ's? This is not the way. Paul, you know Paul, the OG apostle, church planter, main author of the New Testament. Paul says in Philippians 3.9 that when he gets to the end of his life, he hopes to be found, quote, not having a righteousness of my own, which comes from the law, but that righteousness which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness which depends upon faith. And if for some reason Paul was not enough for you, Calvin says it too. He says that throughout life, believers have uh, no other righteousness than that perfect righteousness of Christ, which they have in him by faith. So if that's you today, if you've been erecting your own separate righteousness apart from Christ, based on your position or your authority, or the goodness of your deeds or your charity, I invite you to repent as well. Embrace sweet repentance and depend wholly upon Christ's righteousness, which is given freely for you. So I've said uh, that this sermon has two points, right? Uh, I've said faith is the foundation uh, and the fuel for the Christian life. And we've just finished exploring how in many, many places in scripture, we see that faith is the foundation for our, our Christian lives. And now we can talk about the second part, how faith is the fuel for the Christian life. You know, I've said also that faith has a reference point outside of yourself. And we've seen this in the way that God intends for us to live. So our second point, we'll talk about how it's actually possible and why it's possible to live this way consistently. Our second point is that faith is not simply the necessary foundation but faith also supplies the fuel, the motivation, the want to of the Christian life. 
Now, we don't have a, a whiteboard here uh, or a, a fancy screen, so you'll have to help me out here and you'll have to use your imaginations. Listen, uh, imagine a, a dotted line, right? And the things that we see and hear and touch, everything in this world is below the dotted line. After the fall, when sin first entered in the world through our first parents, Adam and Eve, you can read about that in Genesis 3, after that, everything below this line was tainted with sin. There's nothing that escapes the problem of sin, the defilement of sin. However, above the dotted line is where God is. And that is where faith comes from. Faith is an otherworldly substance. You can think about it that way. We talked about how no one reasons to their faith, how it's not something that we stumble upon down here below the dotted line. But it's actually something otherworldly that comes to us as a divine gift from God himself, breaking through the dotted line to us. Now, the reason why faith is the fuel for the Christian life is because faith gives you sight. Faith allows you to see the things that are above the dotted line where God is. Hebrews 11, 1 and 3, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. By faith, we understand that the universe, or everything below the dotted line, was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So right here, the author of Hebrews is telling us that faith is the conviction that there is a perfect, undefiled, and unfading inheritance waiting for us just above the dotted line. We know it's there. Just as sure as Christ is raised from the dead, we know that this inheritance is ours and nothing can take it from us. That truth is the most powerful motivation in all the world. And it moves us to live by faith. Now I'm going to turn to a number of passages here that actually depict Christians living in this way to give you an idea of their perspective. You see, I don't even have to try to convince you of my point here. The Bible's going to do all my work for me. It's great. So we'll see through the eyes of Christians living by faith as God intends for every moment of our lives. So listen and hear their perspective, the perspective of faith, the way that they commit themselves to viewing everything in their lives through that lens of faith, whether it's work or suffering or even death or anything else. 2 Corinthians 5, 5 through 9. He who has prepared for us this very thing, this eternal inheritance, is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And so whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. So there we have it. No matter what we're doing, no matter what is happening to us, we walk by faith, not by sight. And our aim is to please the Lord. And as we already read, Hebrews 11 says, without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. So Paul is saying here in 2 Corinthians 5 that we as Christians take strength, we are emboldened by the fact that we have an inheritance which is perfect and secure above the line, and it is guaranteed to us by the Spirit. That's what motivates Christians moment 
by moment, in the mundane, in the difficult. This faith gives them fuel to live lives pleasing to God. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5 says the same thing. Look with me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What in this world could stand in the way of such a faith, such a grand confidence that we are approved, we are delighted in, protected and secured ultimately in all things by the God of the universe? That's something that nothing below the dotted line can touch. Romans 8, 31 through 39. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and who indeed is interceding for you. Who shall separate us from this love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else, in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the life of faith, a life lived fully convinced that in Christ all things are ours and nothing can take these things away. There's nothing left to gain. You have it all already stored up for yourselves above the dotted line. Your life is hid with Christ in God. That is the life of faith depending on something outside of yourself. Christ Jesus seated at the right hand of God and trusting that you're eternally secure in him. Now let me say also that God gives us other gifts in addition to faith. We've talked about some of those things. He gives us wisdom, he gives us knowledge, he gives us his word, he gives us the church and older brothers and sisters in Christ that give proper shape to our faith. So faith is not about rushing ahead with a foolish confidence. Faith is far more about a quiet conviction that God has secured all things for us. And so we're encouraged to get wisdom and knowledge to properly shape our living by faith. But faith is the first step, without which no amount of wisdom and knowledge can ultimately help you. So as we consider what living by faith could look like, I'm reminded of a story. When I was young, uh, my uncle was determined to get all of us kids hooked on computer games. And I remember he came and he helped install our first computer and hooked us up to the internet for the first time. We had um, dial-up internet, and so it, it always sounded like you were getting pulled over by an alien police car or something, and you shouldn't be on the phone at the same time. 
But uh, my uncle installed a lot of games for us, and uh, he showed us how to play them. But the most important thing I think he did, most fun thing at least, was that he showed us um, cheat codes. Cheat codes were like little passwords that unlocked abilities in these games. Cheat codes could give you things like infinite health or infinite ammo and other special abilities that made it a certainty that you could handle anything that the game could throw at you. And now one code in particular gave you all of those things at once, all of the benefits, none of the risks, and it was called God Mode. Now I was always interested to see uh, what the game would be like in God Mode, how, how I would react to the game, how it would react to me, when nothing and nobody could stand in the way of my victory. Now this is kind of like what faith is like. When you are living by faith, as scripture begs us over and over again to do at all times, you are living into your life above the dotted line where you are untouchable. Now let me tell you what this doesn't mean. This doesn't mean that you will not have trouble in your life. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart for I have overcome the world. Your life will surely be plagued with trouble, just as surely as Christ was. But we as the people of God choose to look at a greater truth, a more substantial reality than the one we currently inhabit below the dotted line. And we've always lived this way. Daniel said, no, I choose to pray in faith even though I go to the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, No, I choose to believe in only the one God, the Creator, Yahweh, even though I go to a fiery furnace. David said, No, I will not be afraid of Goliath. He mocks the Lord as weak, but I believe that the Lord is stronger than anyone, even though I go to battle. Abraham said, No, even though my wife and I are infertile, I believe, my God, that what he says is true. And ultimately, Jesus said, no, I will not shrink back from torture and from death on the cross, for I know who it is who loves and cares for me. And even though I die, I trust that he will give me life. If you need more examples, feel free to go through Hebrews 11. We just had that as our previous series. They all have different stories, but the answer is always the same. It's repeated. They lived by faith in everything they did and it motivated them to keep going. Perhaps Paul says it best in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, I could go on and on here, showing you the lives of Christians who have committed themselves to living by faith. Time would fail me to show you the lives of David Brainerd, Polycarp, Corey Tenboom, George Muller, Joni Erickson Tata, Steve Saint, Stan Dale, Hugh Latimer, Nicholas Ridley. These faithful Christians chose to live in faith, not by what they saw in front of them. They chose to live their lives completely convinced that even though they faced incredibly difficult circumstances, their lives were hid with Christ in God, their salvation secure, their inheritance infinite and imperishable.
Now, most of us will likely never have to face circumstances as difficult as these people did, and praise God for his mercy on us there. But what does living every moment by faith actually look like for us? Well, I have an outline for us, a step-by-step plan to help you live your moments by faith. Now, you can, you can adapt this. You can come up with your own way uh, that works for you in particular um, to help you to focus your perspective outside of yourself but on Christ instead. So here's one way. It's four steps. It's four questions. You can write this down um, or you can uh, listen to the sermon again later to get them. Four questions. One, who am I? Where am I? What can change these things? So what then shall I do? Who am I? Where am I? What can change these things? So what then shall I do? Who am I? I am God's creation, marred by sin, but redeemed by his very great love, having in me the perfect righteousness of Christ by faith, guaranteed inheritor of all things in him, blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, and perpetual recipient of all that I need, according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. That's who I am. You better say amen. That's, that's who you are too. <laughs> Question two. We've got who we are. Where am I? I'm in God's world, perfectly ordered and ordained by him in every time, every place, and every situation. Three, what can change these things? Nothing in all of creation. Four, what shall I do in this moment? All things which glorify him with immense joy and thankfulness, no matter the cost to me. Can you imagine going into every moment of your life struck to the core with these convictions? When you believe these things as you face your moments, you become a force to be reckoned with. You become an immovable object, as 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says. Imagine if Christians the world over lived their moments in this way. Now, be careful not to make the mistake here of confusing this distinctly Christian approach with uh, looking on the bright side or focusing on the positives. This is not some subjective mind trick to fool you into ignoring what is difficult in your life. Instead, living by faith is actually the objective perspective of God. It's his universe. After all, he created it. And he says these things are true of you today in spite of your circumstances. This is the way that God sees you. All other perspectives, including yours, are subjective in comparison to God's. But beyond that, living by faith looks straight at the negatives. It looks the brokenness of this world full in the face and speaks into it that there is a greater reality above the dotted line. There is a God who cares for me and has promised to restore both me and the entire world that I live in. 
And I will have faith in him and count all else as loss if only I may gain Christ. This way of living by faith applies to every situation that you could possibly get into. From sharing your faith with a stranger to facing death. From taking out the garbage to taking out a loan. From having a disagreement to putting your kids to bed. All things must be done in faith. You must depend upon the one who loved you and gave himself for you so that you could have all things in him. We have nothing to lose and nothing to gain for we have been given everything in Christ. As we close, I'd like to simply read Colossians 3, 1 through 4, which I think perfectly encapsulates what I've been saying and bids us to go out and live these lives by faith. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that as we go from here and out through these doors into the world below the dotted line, I pray that as we go, we would bring with us these eyes of faith, that we would place our trust outside of ourselves and in Christ instead. We pray that by your spirit we would exercise faith in every moment, resting upon Christ as our sure foundation, and that this faith in him would be the fuel and the motivation to move us forward in this world so that we would do those things which are pleasing to you. For you have given us all that we need in Christ.